This is the Influencers Network Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Craig. I'm the Executive Director for Influencers Global Ministries in Bentonville, Arkansas. And uh, thank you to technology and Zoom, I'm able to uh, connect with my influencer brothers around the country and around the world. And I've got uh, one of our key leaders over in the Bakersfield, California area, area Franco Bezenais. And uh, he's uh, a, a good brother of mine. I met him years ago at one of our big influencers events. We'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, welcome, Franco. Hey, welcome, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we've known each other since uh, we used to do these uh, leadership conferences in Malibu, California. At this, uh, this it, that sounds real fancy, but they have to understand this is like a very modest uh, monk type setting. Really, I mean, it was. A, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the view is beautiful. The view is multi yes. million dollars. The accommodations are pretty, uh, pretty minimal. But uh, anyway. Uh, we always, uh, during those days, we used to do a crazy live it out exercise and uh, they'd throw us in teams and Franco, we didn't even know each other, but we ended up on the same team. And this was the year they gave us these t-shirts that said free hugs today. And they sent us out to shopping areas and we were just supposed to stand there and see how many hugs we could get from people, you know? So, uh, it was kind of, and, interesting and that's my motto. That's something that I've always done for many years and before all that. So that was just natural to me so oh yeah yeah i was on the right team so you uh yeah <laughs> and it took a while for people to warm up but i think i think the more we had confidence the more they had confidence you know so uh, yeah. it was it was pretty cool but anyway hey glad to have you franco and i love um one thing we like to do with these podcasts i always I interview Rocky a lot and I love to hear his wisdom and pull things mm -hmm. out of Rocky, but, but you know what? I get a front row seat to see so many cool transformation stories and you do too. I know where you live. Um, and we, it's just great to tell the stories, you know, and share them with everybody else out there who don't, they don't necessarily get to hear them or see them. So I wanted to share a little of your story, Franco, because uh, you've got a very inspirational story from uh, a guy who had a pretty rough, rough upbringing, a lot of, a lot of things thrown at you, you know, as a young, young kid, even really. So, so let's just start a little bit with your story and your background story, and then we'll kind of get into kind of how you found out about influencers and what that's been to you. But let's just start out wherever you want to start on kind of a little bit about your upbringing and, and some of your parts of your upbringing that, that were rough. You know, I, I've been in ministry for quite a long time and, and there's a lot of a lot of stories of people being raised, you know, by their, their parents that are always in church and everything and had a lot of influence and, and myself growing up was complete opposite for me. Uh, not saying that everybody's like that, but I can tell you that I'm just grateful for what I went through because it's given me a different outlook. And, you know, when they say that you can reach other people uh, that other ones can't, it's, it's probably because my passion is for the people that are hurting, like the way I hurt when I was growing up. So I find myself reaching out to young men, uh, even in probation departments, stuff like that. I've been sharing stories, you know, all over. And and lately it's been men, you know, I've finally grown up and, and God has brought me out of the, the mess that I was in. And, and I'm just grateful today. I mean, I could share briefly about what happened as a child. And, and basically uh, my dad uh, left the family when I was three. So I don't remember him at all. And my mom raised us and there was four of us kids. And I was the youngest out of all of them. 
And my mom started struggling. She went through her hardships. And I mean, with drugs and alcohol, and it really affected me as a child, all my whole family. And uh, so we had a hard life, hard neighborhood, uh, many nights without power, uh, you know, and, and no food. So we we're hungry all the time. And and people don't realize that I ate at school and uh, I often would sit at the last table where the garbage, people are throwing away their garbage. Instead of throwing it away, they actually stacked it on my table. And I would be the last kid sitting there trying to eat as much as I could uh, until the lady behind me that was wiping all the tables, she was stopped and said, Frank, it's time for you to go. While all the other kids were outside playing recess, I'm sitting there eating because I knew that was my only meal. And I, I, you know, I look back on it and, and my mom going through her issues with uh, drugs and alcohol, you know, and she never put another man in my life. Um, so it, it did affect me growing up. I, I didn't have anybody come looking for me and I would be gone lots of times. And and uh, many days were, you know, other friends were give me food and uh, try to feed me from their own house. And so that was kind of normal to me. Uh, but anyways, it was really bad. I saw some tragic things at a young age. We were in the gang-related areas, and uh, I watched a, a man literally uh, get his head blown off right in front of me, and that was pretty tragic for me. I was eight years old. I was two feet away from the guy when it happened. Um, I think that sent me on a rampage that I didn't know, and it did a lot to me. I, I didn't realize what it had done, but uh, that escalated to uh, a kid that was just out of control, you know, all the nobody coming after me. And I was just running the streets. And at 12, I got some very serious charges and um, got locked up. And uh, my mom, all she had to do was come and get me. And she didn't. My sister tried. She was too young. She couldn't get me out. My mom and they she left. She left Fresno. This is Fresno, California. And uh, so anyways, I. Uh, by the time they found her, I'd been sitting in a single man cell at, at 12 years old for almost a year, almost a year. Uh, and uh, the court systems were trying to find my mom and they found her and locate her in Bakersfield, California, which is two hours south of Fresno, California. And uh, so when they when they finally found her, they put me on a bus and said, hey, don't get off this bus until you, you know, reach your mom. And so at the time. I was, you know, I didn't know what was happening. Uh, when I boarded on this bus, I, I saw my sister who was one year older. I was going to, my plans were to get off that bus because in the game related world, those were the guys that accepted me and had no, you know, no conditions. And, but um, anyways, when my sister was on the bus and there she was, she was saying, Hey, Frankie, Hey, Frankie. And I was just like, Oh my God. And I've had to take care of my older sister. She's, she's not all there. So I knew I wasn't getting off that bus because I couldn't leave her. So, but it changed my life. It was a, a new direction. It was a new place. I didn't have an image to live up to. And so I went to Bakersfield and I didn't want it. I left my past behind. I thought I did, but you know, I guess the inside of me was still the same. And uh, so I met my mom for the first time. She, uh, she was sober. I guess when you get into a new town, she didn't know anybody. She couldn't get the drugs or whatever she was doing. She couldn't get a hold of it. And she was amazing. She was loving, caring. She had a job and we had a place, a really nice apartment, you know, and, but that only lasted for about a year. I started seeing her coming back. And I mean, the next phase that happened to me was uh, I went to school at age 14 now. 
And uh, when I did, I, I um, during that day while I was gone at school, she moved out and didn't tell me anything. I came home and the front door was locked. I uh, We don't ever lock our doors, so that was unusual. So I went around to the back, jumped the fence. I looked inside and I tried to open the sliding glass door, but the, the curtain was open. The sliding door was, uh, was locked and I looked inside and it was completely empty. And I, I, it didn't even make sense to me. So I jumped the fence and I went to the neighbors, which her and my mom were friends. And, and I said, hey, uh, you see my mom? And she said, are you okay? And I remember her saying that to me because I remember thinking like, you know, yeah, I'm going to be fine. And I thought of foster care and I thought about the system that people get, you know, all these kids get put in. And I said, no, she's going to come back and get me. Well, every day for a week, Right around the corner, there was this church, and I slept in the corridor right in the concrete. Every night I slept, kept coming to wait and see if my mom showed up, and and uh, she she never came. She never showed up, and the whole week went by. I was starving. I was so hungry uh, that down the street further, uh, a couple more blocks, was a 7-Eleven, and I knew that if I went there that they had to throw away their food. If they couldn't sell it, they would throw it in the trash can. Sure enough, I went to the garbage can, lifted up the lid, and it was one of those dumpsters. And I jumped inside, closed the lid because there was food in there. And I'm going to town. I'm eating. And all of a sudden, somebody raised the lid up, and it happened to be the lady that was working there throwing the trash out. And I remember jumping out of that. All I saw was the lady. I, I didn't look at her face too well. I just took off running. And I remember the humiliation I felt. I felt like a rat. I felt like like the lowest of lows. And I never, if there was a moment that I could have cried, it would have been growing up as a kid, never loved or never cared for. I was a hardened person. I had so much anger and bitterness, resentment, hated everyone, trust no one. And uh, so I came back the next day because I knew there was food in there. And this time the food was on top of the garbage can. And I came back every day and, and, and that food was never in the garbage can. This lady that worked there was putting that food on top. And this is really important because as I got older, I found out something else and we'll get to that. But so anyways, I, um, you know, I, I lived on the streets. My, my mom, I never united with her. I, I went on to live on the streets for about five more years. I was 19 and Satan had a hold of me and he was convincing me to, in my life, he was telling me, nobody loves you, nobody cares. I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody knew my situation. You know, if I didn't tell anybody, they couldn't put me in foster care. And that's the way I was living my life. And Satan had his way with me. That was probably the hardest years of my life. And that one time when I'm 19, he was telling me, just go ahead, end your life, go commit suicide. And so then I was prepared to do that. And on the way, we go to this very busy street. I'm walking. It's a Friday night. I remember it being a Friday night. On the way, walking to this real busy street to go throw myself in front of a car, there's this party going on. And I remember thinking to myself, one last party before I go out. So I go in there. I ended up getting in a fight with this guy. He ends up pulling out an 11-inch Rambo knife. and starts stab I got stabbed five times in the stomach. Mm. And uh, at that moment, I remember like, I was got so lightheaded. Uh, I, I fell to the ground. I remember right behind when I fell to the ground, the cops come running in because people had called the cops and the cops came in. They grabbed the guy with the knife and they started arresting him. Paramedics came in right behind him and they picked me up, put me up on a, a couch. And, and, and right at that moment, I remember just 
knew that I was going to die. I felt the presence of death. Now that felt very cold. I knew I was going to die. And I, I believe on my last breath, last breath, maybe a few seconds before I pass, I, I reached out to God. I said, God, help me. Now, I've never known God. I've never been to church. I just wasn't, you know, I remember as a kid in 1977 watching this uh, show or the news one time, and, and it happened to be about Jim Jones and drinking Kool-Aid and and. There was a lot of people that commit suicide. And I remember looking at that at 1977, telling myself, there's no way I'm going to have anything to do with church. So that stopped me, believe it or not. Uh, so I never wanted to. So here I am, 19. I had that happen to me. Uh, when I said that, here's what happened. I left my body. It was like I went above the ceiling and somebody removed the roof. I'm looking straight down. And uh, I could see the paramedics working on me. I could see the guy getting arrested and I see all these people, but I couldn't feel anything. The, the pain that I was feeling on my side was gone. Uh, and I started getting further and further away. It was like somebody took the roof off the ceiling. I could see in the room, but beyond it, it was all black. So it wasn't, I couldn't see outside or anything. And I got further and further away. As I did, I turned towards the darkness. Now, I've heard of other people dying and a bright light and loved ones saying, come this way. And, but I wasn't going there. That's not what was happening to me. Um, the darkness that I was going towards is what I heard is Satan. And I know it was him because it was his voice. He said, he's mine. I've been waiting for him. Imagine that voice a thousand times worse than what I just sounded like. And then I heard another voice. The other voice I know today is Jesus, which I didn't know him. And this is what he said. He said, I'm not going to, I guess he was judgment day because Satan was claiming me. And Jesus was saying, I'm not going to let him leave earth without seeing how good it could be. Let him be a testament to me. I heard that. Next thing I know, I went right back in my body. As I opened my eyes, I remember seeing the paramedics to stop. They were putting away all the machines. And there was one paramedic pushing down on my chest. And I remember opening my eyes and I heard him say to the other parent, I got a heartbeat, I got a heartbeat. And for the first time in my life, I wanted to live. I, I was so, like, never, I had no care prior to that. I didn't want to live. I wanted to commit suicide. All of a sudden, I had this desire just to live life. And so uh, moving forward, I didn't see God, didn't know how to see him. I never, you know, been to church or nothing. And so I went through a lot more struggles, actually five more years. I call it the wandering time because uh, wasn't Satan wasn't done with me. He still had a hold of me, but God had started something in me. And it was that small little fire that I didn't know existed. And so I went on to go to prison. Uh, I still had that anger. still had a lot of badness in me. And uh, I went to prison four times and the fourth one was a very serious charge. I actually got a strike and I almost killed a man with my fist. I beat him so bad. And that was the rage that was in me. So now I'm really looking at a lot of time. And I remember sitting in prison and, and I was telling this guard about my you know, testimony I just shared with you. And uh, he, he got really pissed because he goes, what the heck? He goes, you're in prison right now. He goes, don't you feel like you're in hell? You just need to get the hell out of here and go find God. And he said it and he slammed his hand on the table. It was so loud and it woke me up. And I realized like, I need to find God. Now I'm 24 now in and out of prison, 19 to 24. 
I remember the first time I prayed, I stepped outside the prison and that gate opened up. And, you know, I stepped through the gate and as it was closing, that was my first prayer. I said, God, I know you're real. Let me find you. As soon as I got done saying that prayer, I remember just feeling like, just, I don't know, like I was going to be going the direction he wanted me to go. Next morning I got up, I got a phone call from my ex who had my child, but I wasn't being a father. And she says, hey, I found Jesus. Do you want to go to church with me? And I was like, wow, God, you wasted no time. <laughs> so I said, all right. I said, let's go. And, and we went to a small church. And uh, I've never stepped foot in a church before. And I remember I'm going to sit in the back row, back corner. And I had a, two doors on my left, two doors on my right, on the other side, and then two in the front. I, I make sure I always put my back to the wall and I got to see what's going on, you know, and uh, and I remember sitting there and as soon as the worship started, everything was great because everybody's sitting down. As soon as the worship started, they all jumped up and raised their hands. They were worshiping. All I could think about was their brainwash. They're going to drink the Kool-Aid, you know, and I I that just I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to drink the Kool-Aid and commit suicide. I got scared. I bolted out of there. I jumped up off the chair and. Uh, and, and kicked the doors wide open. And I remember I made a big old large sound just hearing those doors slam. Then I took off and and then she came chasing after me, my ex. And uh, she goes, hey, she goes, what are you doing? I said, you guys, you know, we're brainwashed. She goes, no, we're not. She goes, if you're in front of God right now, what would you do? I said, I'd thank him. And she goes, that's what we're doing. We're praising him and thanking him. I was like, wow. She goes, you got to come back. I said, not that one. So we, she goes, all right, I know another church. It's a big one. Let's go. Nobody will notice you. Nobody will recognize you. Nothing. I said, all right. Went to that one. Turned out that it was amazing. It was what I needed. I laughed. I cried. I've never had those feelings before, you know? And uh, at the end, uh, the pastor says, all right, everybody with their heads bowed down. Just raise your hand. You ready to give your life to Jesus? Now I'm questioning. Am I here for the right reason? I didn't know. Anyways, he, um, and, and next thing I know, all the people that raise their hands, they, they jump up and they're all running down to the stage. And I felt deflated. I felt like I missed it. I missed my spot. And uh, so uh, all of a sudden the pastor goes, wait a minute. He goes, God's telling me right now, let's redo it again. He goes, God just told me somebody's undecided and I need to do it again. He goes, I don't do this, but I'm going to do it right now. So he had everybody bow their heads back down. Now I'm really, I couldn't believe. I'm like, this guy, what's going on? I'm like, now I'm questioning. I'm actually got my, uh, looking around. My ex had another little girl and she was between us. And she's already looking up at me. She's five years old. She's so small. She's looking at me. And as I'm looking around, she looked at me and said, she goes, are you ready? And I remember grabbing her hand. And when I stood up, I felt the Holy Spirit from my head to my toe. It was like amazing. And I just bolted down there and I ran to the stage and everybody was clapping. He's the one. He's the one. <laughs> so then every week for the next four weeks, I kept getting saved. And finally, some lady tapped me on the shoulder and she goes, sir, she goes, you're getting saved every week. And I said, ma'am, you don't know the, the sins I committed this week. I want to be forgiven for those too. And she goes, all you got to do is just, you know, confess to somebody. He died on the cross. They're, they're long gone. I'm like, poof, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you since then what God's done in my life. 
you know, I, I, uh, he's erased my record. I don't have it anymore. I was involved in another case. It's too long to get into, uh, but God erased it. I don't have any of my past is all gone and you can look me up. I've had people try to do that and they couldn't find anything on me. So all those felonies and your adult record stays with you. Well, not when you're running with God, because he writes a new one. Mm. He rewrote my past. He gave me a new heart, a, a new eyes to see, a new calling to my life. And it has just been amazing. I, and when I ran to Alaska, I was trying to run because of the strikes and God brought me back. I came back to Bakersfield. And all I was so hungry was for men that were gathering. I don't care what, what they were doing, what church you were at, what restaurant. I didn't care. I just wanted it. And uh, and boy, did I find it. I happened to, in 2011, come across the Journey Group. I got invited to a group, and I walked in. And it was so amazing to be into this influencers, which I didn't know. Was, and I just heard Journey Group. That's all I knew. Uh, they accepted me. They loved on me. I got to do the last month. Now, I'll remind you that most, I've heard a lot of other places where they, they close it off, but this one was open and I walked in. They had invited me to the commencement ceremony, which is something they do every time at the end. Yeah, I was you, were there, so, you were there just like two weeks, like the last two sessions or something yeah, like that, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 but it was so amazing what I witnessed in this, just those two sessions. And for me, it was, then they invited me to their ceremony. That was a whole nother level. I was like, wow, this is what I need. It's like, and, and God was already working on me. And when I came back, it was, it's just so powerful. I came back the following year. Because I, I'm like, when does this start back up? So they gave me the dates. I was there from day one. And, you know, I want to share this with you because, um, you know, Les Piercy was the group that I joined. Les Piercy is now, um, you know, the regional director of influencers. And he's had such an impact in my life. And, and uh, I remember I was in his group the second year, right, in 2012. Now I got to remind you, Satan had a hold of me for a lot of years, and uh, so Les said, he was, "I think it was about the fourth or fifth time we were doing our group." He goes, "Hey, we're just going to read out of this book. Go around, read a paragraph. Everybody just read one paragraph, and see." When I witnessed that at eight years old, that guy getting his head blown, I think I believe a lot of my learning abilities had came to a stop because I was being blocked. So Satan had me convinced that I had no reading abilities and I couldn't read. And that was stupid and telling me just all these lies about who I am. And um, so I'm sitting there in this group. As long as I proofread it, I, I do OK. All right. So I counted. There was 14 guys. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to read the 15 paragraph. I wasn't even listening to what they were saying. I'm reading it. I'm proofreading it three or four times. No problem guy next to me is a speed reader and uh, he gets to him and he reads about four or five paragraphs oh my god that put me into a state of shock i'm sitting there and i'm like oh no and now i'm gonna have to take off where he left off which i didn't proofread satan's in my head telling me how stupid and worthless i am and uh i started stuttering 
I was like, I was just so convinced. I was it. I'm like, I'm getting out of this journey group. I'm not going to do this. And uh, what happened is three weeks go by. I quit coming and Les calls me, Les Piercy, he calls me up and he goes, Franco. I'm like, yes. And he goes, you've been gone three weeks. I said, yep. <laughs> he goes, you coming back? Because he called me, I'm just like, wow, this guy, like, literally, I see him as, you know, a pillar, you know? And he took the time to call me, like, I mattered. And he said this before he hung up, he goes, Franco, I don't know what you're struggling with. He goes, just ask God to help you. And he hung up the phone, right? I said, now was going to come. And I, so I hung up with him and I started praying. I said, God, you got to help me. If you want me to be in this group, help me. I need you. You know what he said to me? He said, speak my truth. But I heard him say it was audible. It was loud. I heard it like talking. I know it was alone. So I'm like, wow, God is nothing but truth. So I went back and I started, we started reading and it was clear. It was, I could read and I didn't have Satan in my head. And it was the very first time that I started getting confidence in myself that I knew that Satan was a liar and that he couldn't hold me the way he was anymore. Mm. And um, never thought, now let's move forward throughout the journey. I never stopped going. I used to see guys and I used to think, how could these guys be the way they are? It's one thing to have a feeling, right, that you're going with the emotions. But when you start digging in the material and you start reading it and going, covering it and what Rocky wrote was so incredible and you can apply it to your life. You can see every bit of everything that he spoke in these books has been incredible. Now, um, you know, it's 11, 12 years now. It's been a long time. <laughs> and one thing I always wanted was my church to pick it up and they wouldn't do it in the beginning, but after five years of doing the journey, they saw the growth and the men that were being poured out. And so they took note and they said, yes, let's do it. And uh, we did it the first year. I was just, a uh, they didn't really have anybody actually done it besides me. And so there was a, they formed these groups and, um, you really suggest that you go through it before you go and start trying to lead it and uh god had been preparing me right so anyways we formed all these groups and some of the back groups weren't because they weren't the guys that actually did it so they didn't really know what they were doing and so a lot of the groups were failing and and right around me i didn't know all i was doing is focusing on my group and i was so blessed we had such an amazing that was my best year because of the man that god brought me and and uh so the following year uh, they were going to stop it. They were like, this is a fail. And they said, unless you want to do it. Now, Satan telling me again, you're not worthy. You cannot do this. And, hmm. and I went and prayed about it. And I said, God, what is it? And I said, I, I even said to myself that I go, I'm not qualified. He goes, through me, you are. Only through me, you're qualified. So I said, okay. Came back. And uh, I said, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to pick it up. Now you got to realize that the East Side guys, when it failed, I, I was like, well, how am I going to convince all these guys to come back? Because it was a big fail. But 
God had other plans. And what he did do was amazing. He brought a bunch of churches from all over the region and that east side to come because they heard about what was happening on the southwest. And so they came over and and uh, next thing you know, the room started filling, you know, mm-hmm. little by little. And it, it kept growing and growing. And some of the guys that originally tried it heard about how great this journey group was when they had it failed, but they came back. And man, it has been a movement. There's lots of men. We just started the journeys, uh, went uh, couples, and now it's a big movement. And I tell you, it's been phenomenal. I can't even tell you how God has grown me, stretched me, and gave me confidence I never had. And only through God, you know. I, I got a, I got a scripture here that really spoke to me and. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, anyone in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. God has given me so much. He's given me a new heart to love all, new eyes to see all the hurting people and to love on them in a way that only he does. I feel that Jesus became one of us so that we could be one of his. I mean, think about that statement. Mm. So it's... uh, Identity in Christ means every child of God can point to Jesus and before the Father, Father's throne testify, I'm with him. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, when I start getting more and more of these scriptures to me to uh, understand my identity that he has given me, a whole new person. I mean, I don't have that record. I don't have the hatred. I want to share this. It was, was so amazing. Years later, after doing this, Les Pierce, he asked me, he goes, can I be your mentor? And I was like, well, what's a mentor? You know, I had no idea. I've never had anybody. He goes, it's somebody that's going to, uh, I want to meet you every week, and I'm going to point you towards Jesus. And I was like, wow, me? And he goes, yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out of his house, and I looked up. Now, this is in, you know, this is, I've been in the groups for five, six years. And I uh, walked out of his house, and I said, God. I said, there's been some people that impacted my life. I said, can you bring them back so I can thank them? So Les tells me, you know, well, first of all, there was another church that said, hey, will you share your testimony? And it was a homeless church. I'm thinking, why would they even care to hear my testimony? You know, eating out of garbage cans, stuff like that. So I go over there and I share my testimony, same one I just shared with you. And as the middle of when I got done, there's this young family in the front row and they are bawling their eyes out because I was specific about the 7-Eleven, which one I, I was, and I said the street name. And whenever I got off the stage, they came up to me and they go, hey, that's our Aunt Ronnie. I go, Aunt Ronnie? They're going, yeah. She told us about the boy in the garbage can. And I said, wow. I go, can I meet her? And uh, they go, well, she just passed. They go, but did you know that she prayed over that food every day that she put it out? She was following God. And I look back, I'm thinking I was a boy that, that God had his hand in my life, even when I didn't know it. That's one thing. Another thing, here's another. Les tells me, he goes, hey, we're doing this man camp where there's like 800 to 1,000 men. He goes, get an idea of how many men there were. There was just all these empty chairs of 20. And there was like 24 like 30 circles of empty chairs. He goes, go pick a circle. Every man is going to share their story and you're going to pick one of the circles and you'll share your story. So I get in there 
um, sharing my story. And all of a sudden, it's like everybody had sat down and one man still standing across from me. And I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He goes, Franco. And I said, yes. And he goes, you remember me? I said, no. He goes, I'm the prison guard. I'm the guy that you... And I'm like, what? <laughs> now, like uh, all these years later, it's like, how did I ask God, like bring these people in within a month, the people that impacted my life. It might've been small at the time, but huge overall. When you look at what God can do and I'm floored, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I, you know, I, I'll never forget where I came from. Uh, it's given me a, a new appreciation for the hurting men, the men that were on drugs like I was. And God has freed me from all that. And it has just been incredible. So what, and what, just, an, what an amazing story, brother. <laughs> I've heard it before and I just, it never gets old to me. I just love hearing you talk about it and just seeing the man you've become because I didn't know the man before. Uh, but I, I mean, just with the way you describe it, it's just you, I see the transformation in front of my face, you know, um, is this beautiful man. Um, and you, we didn't have time to get into all the stories about, you know, reconciling with your mom and your dad and all yeah. those stories and, and meeting your, your lovely wife, uh, Misty, and she's now involved in the ministry, which is awesome. You know, so, so, so many great stories yet to be written still, you know? Yes. Now, God keeps blessing me. I um, I just never thought. I'm always used to the bottom falling out, and it hasn't in quite some time because it's it's now on a solid foundation. God has given me something to stand on, and it's Him. It's it's not shaky. It's not, and it's just and I'm being propelled forward, you know. And I'm I it just you know I want to do so much. There's, I is try to hold. A business that I'm a general contractor and trying to keep work going at the same time while the phone in my ear is being talking to men about God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm feeling like, you know, and God has shown me there's a lot of hurting men out there and they can relate to some of my stories and, and things that I've gone through. And I don't know what the battles that men are facing right now. If you're listening right now and you're battling something, when you turn your will over to God, he can rewrite your whole life, recreate a new creation. It is beautiful. I, I, I'm so blessed to be right here with you. I just came back from a little event with you and I mean, you got to walk on the sand and, and, and talk and, and you're yeah. telling me how you left the business world and, and, and you put all your faith and, and I feel that's where God's telling me the same thing. Mm. Leave it all. Just come with me and he'll wow. take care of the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm sure you're going to meet a lot of these guys or some of these guys are going to seek you out at the next summit or whenever we have a big event. And uh, I know what you'll do is you'll give them a big hug for free, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Every summit I've been, I've hugged. My point is to hug all these guys. And, yeah. and, and that hugging has meant everything because there were so many years. I didn't ever have a, ever had a man hug me or nothing. So when it started, boy, it was like, and, and leaking Jesus, every time I, I'm talking, I'm still leaking Jesus right now. It's, it's yeah. God in me, you know, and I have a heart. I care. I have passion. Things I never had. He turned it, all that stuff that I used to have and turned it for the good. Mm. It's beautiful. Well, our time is up, Franco. Thank you so much for telling your story. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Uh, perfect 
you know, and, and I know there's so much more to it. And if you want to hear more of Franco's story, just look him up. He'll even got to tell you more about it, you know, or you can find him in one of our retreats or I'm sure a lot of the guys in Bakersfield uh, know all about you, but uh, thank you for your leadership too. all the things you're doing over there on the East side of Bakersfield. It's awesome. I've been out there to your church and uh, I saw the fire. I saw the respect the men have for you and, and the love they have for you and, and the love you have for those men. And so, so man, just keep up the great work, brother. Which we're it's, all God, it's God in me. And that's all I hope it that is. they see. And that's it, you know, cause it's not me, it's God in me. And I'm just very happy to be a part of something that is so amazing this is this is my life i love it i don't want to change it i want to keep moving forward now that my wife is into the role now and we're both doing this together and it is incredible i get to be a covering over her and she gets to be a covering over me so it's a beautiful thing right now awesome awesome well this has been uh, franco bezenize and he's uh, one of our key men out there in bakersfield california so thank you franco for your time tonight love you craig see you guys uh, lo- love you brother and uh anyway this has been the influencers network podcast and uh we do these try to do these once a week to just share these stories just like this so uh if you're hearing this and you've never been through this little thing called the journey you know i hope you're inspired now to go find out what that's all about um and uh and if you don't know jesus i hope that uh hope you'll consider giving him a chance in your life because uh he's got some great things in store for you and he's he's probably pursuing you more than you even realize so uh maybe even watching out for you like that lady was watching out for franco at the the 7-eleven but uh anyway you can always go to our website influencers.org to to look at old uh, podcasts broadcasts or you can go anywhere you you listen to your podcasts on apple or spotify or wherever anyway well i'm brian craig executive director for influencers global ministries this has been the influencers network podcast i'm going to keep encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you today. God bless you. Thank you. me mm-hmm.